0: Um, The first passage that we will read together comes uh, out of Exodus chapter 34, verses 27 and 28. Now, while you're turning to that, let me contextualize today's message so that I can bring you up to speed on where we are. We're on a journey to spiritual maturity. We've decided that one of the first things you need to do if you are going to be spiritually mature is to find your purpose in life. And in order to find your purpose in life, you must first look for God's purpose. Why God made the world. We have decided from scripture that God made the world in order to make a people for himself. So that they might experience his love and the joy of living out his character. And he not only made the world for that purpose, but he himself initiated through covenants promises, oaths to his people. Throughout history, the things that would allow us to experience his love and allow us to love each other, because these covenants are all elements necessary to intimacy. Not only intimacy with God, but intimacy with each other. Well, when I preached that a few weeks ago, some of you said, we never even heard of covenants. Blood alone felt like we were a part of those covenants. And so I wanted to go back over and remember last week we preached about the first three covenants. And we applied at the end of that service those three covenants to people's lives who had never assimilated them into their lives. We're going to do the same thing this week with three more. All right? Now, I want you to remember that these are your covenants. The first two covenants, remember we, we applied for those who were discouraged the covenant of hope. That was applied in the Garden of Eden. Where even in the curse, in sin's brokenness, God went walking in the garden, calling out to Adam. He knew perfectly well what had happened. But he still wanted to bring Adam close to him. There was always that that thread of redemption and reconciliation in the heart of God. And he cried out, where are you? Hoping that Adam would respond. That's the covenant of hope. And so for the discouraged, we applied that covenant. And for the for those in fear, we applied the covenant of preservation, or security. And we repeated the promise of God that God made to Noah, never again will I destroy the earth. That is to say, Noah, you don't ever have to be afraid that you will be a victim of random judgment. And we also can accept that covenant because that was made to general mankind. Now, when it got to Abraham, it began to be specific to a chosen people. But according to Galatians 329, remember, we are a part of that chosen people. Because it says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. So any promise that was made to Abraham or Israel is ours because we are of Christ. And that was the covenant of chosenness. In a relationship, you must not only have hope and security, you must have a sense of being chosen. That your partner chose you. Out of all the people in the world, he chose you. That's a part of intimacy. And so we applied that to the people last week. Now, here's three more. You ready for these? Okay. And we're going to pray at the end, just like we did last week. Let's talk about the covenant of law. This most misunderstood covenant. This covenant that has only been taken in its most immature form. If you will turn to Exodus 34, I know you just did that, verse 27. Let me read those two verses to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Now if it's made with Israel, it's made with us, right? All right. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So the covenant with Moses is tied in with the law. Now, in our most immature form, it's not invalid at all, it's very valid, but our most immature form, we understand the covenant of the law to be the rules and regulations by which we are to live. And we understand that if we break those rules and regulations, we deserve punishment. And we understand that since we already owe God everything that we have, we can't make up for what we've done. Therefore, what Jesus Christ did on the cross is the payment for the punishment we deserve. Now, on a strict accounting basis, on a legal basis, that's exactly what the law is. And we can believe in that. And we can be grateful for that. However, there is a deeper sense, a covenant sense, that when you remember that God has initiated an intimacy with his people, you take this covenant in just a little different way. When you were kids, I I can only speak from, I'm going to do a lot of speaking from a boyhood memory this morning, but if you were a boy and you were playing with neighborhood um, cronies, at a certain age... I'll bet you spent half the time arguing about the rules and regulations of the game. You spent half the time between what was legal and what was, what was not legal, what was fair and what was not fair, who's that, you know, and so on and so forth. I mean, how many, how many times did you as a boy argue whether or not a guy can take a football, hike back, touch somebody's hands, and then the center run for a touchdown? I mean, every time that happened, we argued about that. Boys argue rules all the time, and that's a very much a part of that age arguing rules and regulations. And you know what? I know churches that do that right now. They've never grown beyond that understanding. They need the sense of security and so on and so forth to know what the rules are. Well, okay, okay. That's a a part of growing up. But let's go beyond that. Let's say that these are not just rules and regulations, but they are boundaries within which God is saying to us, how we need to live in order to play on the same field as he's playing. When I was little, we used to play football all the time, and we'd outline the football field. This is the end zone, this is the end zone, this is out of bounds. Now, there was a little kid in our neighborhood. We used to call him Squirttail. He had the best football in the neighborhood. And so we always invited him to play football. We didn't like the kid. We liked the football. We wanted to play with his football, so he'd bring his football. Now, we begin to play the game. Now, sometimes... If a kid's brought a football, you got to let him run the ball. Every time we passed the football to this kid, he would run off the field, behind the houses. Now, we'd be running after him, not because we wanted the kid, we wanted the football. We'd run after him. He'd hide in garages, he'd hide under the porch, he'd hide everywhere, and after everybody was off the field, he'd scamper back onto the field into the end zone and say, I made a touchdown. We say, no, you didn't. You can't make touchdowns like that. I made a touchdown. just the goal. I made a touchdown. I'm in the end zone. I made the touchdown. Well, see, he was playing football, but he wasn't playing football with us. He was playing football by himself. When God gave us the boundaries in living, when we go out of those boundaries, we're not playing with God anymore. What we do doesn't count. Because we're not on the same field. God's saying, come here, play with me on this field. Stay within these boundaries so that we can be with one another. You know what? Some of you guys who are married are out of bounds. You think you're going to find love out there. You're not. Nothing you do out there is going to do anything to increase your intimacy. Some folks who have a relationship with their country, who have a sense of citizenship, when you cheat on your taxes, you think it's just kind of getting by, pulling a sneak play. You're out of bounds. And I don't care if you get away with it or not. You are not living up to your relationship with your country. In order for there to be intimacy, you have to stay in bounds. The greatest love stories of all times are about getting back into the boundaries so that you can be with one another. Romeo and Juliet. I love this play. I love this play. It was about the boundaries that kept them apart from one another. Their names were the boundaries. The Capulets and the Montagues. They had been feuding for years, and so their names were the very things that kept them apart. And at one time, at the beginning of the play, Romeo wants to see Juliet. They've never talked, but they love each other from afar. And Romeo, and they don't know it yet. They don't know they love each other. They don't know the other one is reciprocating the love. So Romeo sneaks up to underneath the window where Juliet is. Juliet comes out. Now, this is probably the most parodied. Shakespearean scene in all of the world so it's tough to do this seriously but it's so sweet I want you to see what happened here in their lives Juliet comes out and she says and I'm going to in in Hunter fashion murder more Shakespeare I murder Shakespeare almost quarterly but Juliet comes out and she says Romeo she's speaking to the night. see But you know how you do Remember when you were a little kid and you were just rehearsing what you would say to someone? That's what she's doing. He's down in the bushes. She doesn't know that. Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name. Or if thou wilt not, but promise me love, I will no longer be a Capulet. Well, Romeo's starting to feel like he is Eavesdropping. dropping he's feeling bad he doesn't know whether to say something or not and he's, saying some, he's saying to himself in the bushes shall I hear more or shall I speak to this and before he can even get that ended in his mouth she goes on tis but thy name that is mine enemy thou art thyself not Montague what's Montague it is not a hand or a foot nor an arm or a face, nor any other part of a man. Oh, be some other name. What's in a name? Is not that which we call a rose, would that not smell as sweet by any other name? So, Romeo would, if he were not Romeo called, retain the dear perfection that he owns without that title, Romeo, doth thy name. And that part which thy, thou missest, replace with all of myself. Romeo can't stand it any longer. Oh, he's worked up. He's stands up and he says, I take thee at thy word. Call me but love will be newly baptized, and henceforth never again be Romeo. You see what they're doing? They're saying if it is our names that are keeping us apart, we're stepping back in. We'll forget the boundaries. We'll forsake the boundaries so that we can get back together. Do you understand the difference between that and some Christian who does nothing but pay attention to the rules and see what he can get away with? Seeing how often he can get outside the boundaries. No, in maturity, it's another direction. How many boundaries can we get back into so that we can love? Some of you have heard me talk about my grandmother and grandfather who practically raised me. A lot of my life is patterned after those two people. And you have heard me say that I have absolutely no idea how those two people ever came to be married. They were the most different people I've ever seen in my life. My grandfather, bless his heart, had a good heart. But he was a veterinarian and there was a streak in him that was as wild as the animals he treated. He was a cigar chomping, beer drinking, gambling, gambling cussing, renegade of a man. And my grandmother was the most prim and proper individual you have ever met in your life. She never felt fully dressed until she had a lace hanky tucked in her sleeve. The sight of hair on a man's body almost made her faint. (laughs) It did. I remember driving her in the latter days, driving her downtown, and she and by that time men were wearing shorts, you know, and she'd see a man in shorts, she oh, I don't know why they do that. You know. She was so proper. Now can you imagine her being married to that man? I can't imagine my grandfather was a strong man. And my grandmother was a strong woman. You know what? As I lived with them. I watched those habits of his drop one by one. I never once heard my grandmother rebuke him for any of them, and I could not figure where they were going. He stopped his gambling before I was born, but then I watched the liquor go, and then I watched the cigarettes go, or the cigars, and then I watched the cursing go, and, and for and I thought, is this is this woman beating him after I leave? What's the deal? Or is he just getting too old? You know, that, that stuff tiring. You know, he just has not got the energy anymore. What's the deal here? You know what? As I think about it, I think my grandfather fell in love with my grandmother more deeply every day. And I think That he kept trying to step back in the bounds where he could love her like she needed to be loved. So that there would be nothing between them. So that he could give her her what was her nature and not just his liking. You know, the law of God is. It reflects his nature. And so, as we stay within those bounds, we can love Him according to who He is and not according to what we like. The law is for love, not for frustration, not for correction, but for love. If you want a a scripture to really cement that for you, look at Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. I love this scripture. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Whew. Okay, let me do another one here. The covenant of David. This is the covenant of the kingdom. If you will turn to Psalm chapter 89, you will read it. It is phrased there very well. Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4. says this, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. Now, you will remember, please, that the covenant of the kingdom is the covenant of God's authority. It's the covenant that says God has power in this world. Now, again, let me go back to childhood. I don't know how, how important this is for little girls. Little girls may well be satisfied knowing that they are in an environment that, are secu- that is secure. But for little boys, power is important. They not only want to know if they're secure, they want to know if they've got the stuff to carry out what they want to carry out. Let me tell you how an argument goes with a little boy in a neighborhood. It goes like this. They get to the point of frustration, and then one point one one boy says, you better not do that or I'll beat you up. And the response is, if you beat me up, i got an older brother who'll come over and clean your clock." And his response is, if your older brother touches me, my dad will kill him. And his response is, my dad can beat up your dad. You see how it escalates and goes on? And the reason I know that is because when I was coming up through those ages, I lived in a single-parent household. I only had a mother and an older sister. When it came to the bargaining tables, I had no chips. I had nothing. See? See? So, I really wanted a dad. I remember walking down the street trying to pick out men for my mom. You know, I really wanted a dad bad because I wanted that power, see, in the house. I wanted that source of authority. Well, I'd be a good one right over there, mom, see? Well, later on she did marry. Delightful man. I love him. I love him. Neat, neat guy. So, I had a dad. One day, I did something absolutely stupid. There was a kid in our neighborhood who was. The Jeffrey Dahmer of Seltzer Avenue. I mean, this kid was cruel. Now we had a bully, and the bully was basically a nice guy. He'd beat you up, but he's just kind of stupid. And, you know, got you got on his side, and he'd beat you up, but protect you. It, you know, he was okay, got a good heart. This kid pulled animals apart. He one day he he put a a, a, a battery in a box, a big huge battery with two wires coming out and went to the little kids in the neighborhood and said, grab one of those wires. And they'd grab one of those wires and they'd get shocked. And, oh, he just loved that. This guy was demented. I have no idea why I did this. But one day, I made him mad. I threw something at him. And he turned to me with these eyes, you know. For you old-timers, they were Peter Lorre eyes. Or Boris Karloff eyes. For you new-timers, they're Jack Nicholson eyes. He turned to me like, I'll kill you. And he took off running after me and I hopped on my bike and I was running down Seltzer Avenue as fast as I could go. And I spotted my dad out in the front yard. And you know how when you're in a hurry you do a fast dismount? I mean the bike goes one direction and you land and you're going the other direction. See? That's exactly what happened. And I ran behind my dad. And Eddie Teach came up and stood four feet in front of my dad and you could just see. He was looking for where to kill me. My dad didn't know what was going on. But my dad knew what was going on. My dad looked at Eddie and said, Eddie, get out of the yard. I don't want you around here. Eddie didn't move. Now, I probably never should have done what I did. (laughs) But to this day, I have a difficult time regretting it. I leaned out from behind my dad and I went. <laughs> Eddie. Eddie took one step forward like I'm going to kill him. And my dad did this. Eddie, this is not your property. You have no right here. You will get out of this yard, or I will take you out of this yard. And Eddie turned around. Yeah, I had a dad. Now let me tell you what that means to you. Some of you I know have been undergoing very difficult times. And we all know that we cannot attribute every bad thing that happens to us to works from the other side. That would be silly. We live in a world with a lot of ups and downs, and so all of us will go through a lot of ups and downs. But if you think that you can set your heart toward the Lord and work toward His kingdom, and the other side is going to sit on His can, then you're wrong. Some of you are under sustained and chronic spiritual attack. You are worn out, you are discouraged. And you are wondering if God's got the wherewithal to win this thing for you. And I want to tell you, your dad's a lot stronger than my dad is. Jesus said, Matthew 28, 18, listen to this. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. All authority. The Greek word is exousia. It means I not only have the power, the dunamis, I not only have the power, I've got the territory assigned to me. And Satan has no place in that territory. Let me promise you two things. If you run and stand behind your father. Number one, I promise you, just as Dick said, he delights in that. Remember what David said to Goliath? Remember the line, Look, it's not my battle. It's not the army's battle. It's the Lord's battle. Did the Lord say that? Secondly, God not only has the power to turn away the attack on your life, if it's a spiritual attack, but if it's not turned away immediately, What happens is this. God has the power to turn all of it into your good. Romans 8.28 All things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you see? If that attack does not cease, the other thing you can bank on is that God is going to use all of it and you're accumulating good for yourself. That's the covenant of David. The covenant of the kingdom. Now, one more, and I'll quit. And we'll have communion together. Now I'll make this short because we're having uh, a message next week about what it means uh, to be conformed to the image of Christ. But the new covenant is the next one that I want to talk about. The new covenant is the covenant of the consummation of all of these in the relationship with Jesus Christ. You know how natural it is for us to believe that all of these wonderful things we want for ourselves, the hope and the, and the security and the chosenness and the power, all of these things all of us would like to accumulate are really the basics of life, and they're not. The basics of life is a relationship. All of us funnel all of our needs into one relationship, whether we know it or not. There is one relationship that can make us secure forever and make those things which will be added unto us not matter quite so much anymore. I read a poem one time. It really shocked me when I read it. it. It simply was titled David, Aged Four. And the poem went like this. Christmas is a bitter day for mothers who are poor. The wistful looks of children are daggers to endure. Though shops are crammed with playthings, enough for everyone, if a mother's purse is empty, there might as well be none. Now listen to the last stanza. My purse is full of money, but I cannot buy a toy. Only a wreath of holly for the grave of my little boy. You know, you you begin thinking that the important things are what you can accumulate or feeling sorry because somebody hasn't heard one covenant or another. But really what matters is the relationship. The relationship. If you have that relationship, the rest of it is gravy. If you have a relationship, a personal relationship with God, everything else is gravy. Now stand up. We're going to do what we did last week. Now comes the time of application. This is very important. We don't want to just talk theory. We want to let God minister these covenants. And we want God to minister these covenants through the hands of his people. The Bible says, you are a royal priesthood. And therefore, it is only appropriate that for the needs in the congregation, the congregation should lay on hands. Now, here's the first question. We're going to pray three prayers. Here's the first one. I would like for any of you who know that you are are outside of a boundary in your life. Part of your life right now is being lived outside of a boundary. And until you get back in from that boundary, you are not going to be as intimate with God as you possibly could be Some area of your life is not right. Would you be brave enough to sit down right now and let us pray for you the covenant of Moses, the covenant of boundaries? Would you do that right now? Anybody who has an area of their life that they know they're living outside of a boundary of God right now? Anybody? Thank you. That takes some bravery, I know. It really does. Thank you. Now those who are around them, would you lay hands on them right now and we're going to pray for them. God, thank you that you have cared so much for us. That you would give us guidelines in order that we could stay within them to love you. These people have had the courage to sit down and say to you, I want to come back in. I want to walk away from this thing so that I can be intimate with you because your love is more important to me than this thing is. So help me come back in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now stand up. Next next coming. Those of you who have some sense of powerlessness in your life right now, you're facing something you know you're not going to beat under your own power. And you know that you have to depend upon your Father because He's the only one that can change it or make it come out right. Anybody with some sense of powerlessness right now, would you please sit down right where you are so we can pray for you? Please sit down. Wow. Lots of folks. Would you surround them and lay on hands, please? Let's just pray for them. God, Your Word says that the more helpless we find ourselves in life, the greater thy power is to help us for our strength, for your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, administer the covenant of David in these people's lives and let them know that they are more than conquerors through Christ who loved them. We pray that they will have a sense of authority about what they're doing because they are dedicating it to you and you will surely bring victory out of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Stand up one more time now. One more time. There are some of you <clears throat> who have believed in God for as long as you can remember. Probably never doubted it. Or maybe just doubted it every once in a while. And you believe in Jesus Christ. And and you're you're good with that. But in your heart of hearts, you are not 100% sure that you have a personal relationship with God. You're not 100% sure that Christ is actually, right now, living in your heart. But you'd like to. You'd love to have that sense of intimacy with Him. And you'd love to be secure in that. Today is your day. Would you please sit down and let us pray for you right now? Thank you. Thanks. Great. Anybody else? If you feel called, sit. All right. Put your hands on, please. God, thank you that you give us the security of knowing that you live in our heart. We ask you right now to come to the door of these people's hearts. You have said in your word, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Let them right now confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Would you repeat after me, those of you who are sitting, Jesus, I invite you to come into my life and be Lord. Now, Lord, as you enter into those hearts and you make those hearts your throne, would you give them the certainty and the security never have to, to have to wonder about their relationship with you again? Don't let it be based upon feeling. Don't let it be based on opinion. Be let it based on the Word of God. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And the testimony is this, that he has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life, and he who does not have the Son does not have the life. Thank you for the security that you give us. In Jesus' name.